Morning, everyone. Morning again, I guess. Hopefully you guys are well on this beautiful Sunday. Claire sends her love. I think her biggest disappointment was that uh, she was not going to be here today for the baby dedication. So that was a sadness for her. And um, it's always a sadness for me when she's gone. But McDonald's enjoys it um, because the stock goes up, that kind of thing. Uh, Anyway... Yeah, she is. Claire is uh, taking a few days. She's at a retreat in Nebraska, so you just be praying for her. Uh, she leads so many retreats and uh, doesn't. Uh, it's these are treasured moments when she's able to be able to be on a retreat herself because um, most times on retreats she is doing some teaching. So this retreat she's actually on just for the replenishing of her soul. Uh, we want to, Claire and I really want to extend a thank you to you guys uh, for the book launch party. That was just amazing. Your response to the book, just thank you guys. I, I just, we, we are so grateful for you guys, uh, the celebration that we've had and kind of the ongoing, the support. Um, it's been kind of a whirlwind, but we're grateful for that. So thank you guys so much. Um, we love, we love our family and we love this place and uh, those moments are so absolutely critical uh, for us. So thank you for that. We also want to celebrate um, Upward, finished another year. So let's hear it for all of the Upward, all the kids that were a part of that, the families. If you're unfamiliar with Upward, it's our basketball program that's Christ-centered uh, basketball program, reaches out into this region. Uh, we have almost 200 kids uh, that participate uh, boys and girls from kindergarten through eighth grade. So that's great. It's been another wonderful year. And uh, I know personally, I've been able to coach um, from uh, the first year that we had Upward, and I've coached every year. And it's one of those treasured spaces for me to be able to coach. When you start to talk about um, talk about being connected to the kids, one of the one of the uh, one of the things that's been hard for Claire and I always since we planted the church uh, was that our responsibility is on Sunday morning, at least is on this end of the building. So we're always trying to get spaces where we can connect with the children because we think that that's such an important part of all of our lives, um, not just Claire and I, but all of us, that, um, you know, Jesus had so much to say, didn't he, about the children and how we respond to the children in the church. And uh, I want you just to think about for a moment, imagine this place, if we removed every child from it, um, and, and what a, what a, what a just, it would just not be good, right? And just imagine the difference that each child makes in all of our lives, even if we don't directly know them. Kids shift the environment and the atmosphere. And so we're so grateful for that. Um, I just want to encourage you all to be mindful, uh, for all of us to be mindful. How can we help? Like, how can I be a part of, uh, how can you and I be a part of making the process, the journey of a child's life? They have 936 weeks from the time they're born to the time they go off to college, if they go to college, 936 weeks. How can we, as a church be a part of that 936 weeks and help those kids be passionate for Christ when they go off to college. One of the big crises in the church right now, the church globally, certainly the church in our culture, 
is the most significant falling away from faith in, in uh, a demographic are when kids go off to college. And part of the reason for that is we as a culture and as the church in the United States is we have created a consumer environment instead of a presence-filled environment. So we're not teaching our kids to connect to the presence of God well enough. We, we spend a lot of time kind of teaching them this is what you do to be kind of a consumer in church. And then when they go off... Consumerism doesn't, it just doesn't fulfill their soul when they're off on their own and they've got to make their own decisions about, am I going to keep going to church? Well, if the only reason you're coming to church is to get some, to, to just be a consumer, then that just doesn't fill you up. Any of us know that, right? Part of the reason why I spent the first 18 years of my life uh, just being a consumer, and then I made a decision for Christ was I was tired of being a consumer of everything the world had to offer. It just wasn't fill, filling that, that void in my soul. So when it comes to uh, a, a local church or a body of believers and the body of Christ, we have got to be the kind of people that, first of all, connect with the presence of God as individuals, and then we impart that to our children. That our children begin to be not just consumers of Christianity, because when they get to be about college age, they say, that just doesn't fill me up. What, they want, what we want them to be are people that are hungry for the presence of God. And that will sustain anybody, right? That sustains you and that sustains me. So what can we all do? Um, and maybe what is God speaking to us? Perhaps to participate um, in running a small group upstairs for the children, to be a part of the children's ministry, to be a part of some other ministry that supports what is going on with the kids. That is absolutely critical. All right, well, let's get to today what we want to talk about for a few minutes. I just want to talk to you about prayer, just. Um, obviously, this is a huge subject. Uh, we're, we're This Lenten season, we're going through 40 days, nine ways to pray. And today, I just want to talk to you about the way of prayer, the way of prayer. And I want to talk to you about a few things. But let's let's jump into a scripture that some of us are very familiar with. We've already read part of it. Um, it's called the Jesus Prayer. It's in Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 5, and this is what it says. Jesus speaking here, and when you pray, so, and when you pray, all right, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And he repeats himself. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Jesus' words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. And we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So there is so much in this prayer of Jesus, uh, but I want to point out a few things for us this morning. So if if you're writing down notes, you might want to write down just three words. These three words, I think I've got them. Focus, control, and presence. Focus, control, and presence. As Jesus goes through this prayer, and in other places when the scriptures talk spoken about, um, or when the, the scripture communicates about prayer, these three kind of themes, these three ideas permeate what's discussed consistently. If you can get these three things down, if you want to know how to pray, um, it's not about knowing like a specific set of prayers. It's not even about a style of prayer. If you want to know how to pray, if you can get these three things into your spirit and just let this ruminate in you and pay attention to this, you'll go very far. And then all of those other things just become added onto it. The first thing to pay attention to is focus. Jesus talks here a couple of times about people babbling on and talking and just going on and and their words not being meaningful at all. Um, Focus is kind of the practical part of prayer. Focus is the kind of the when of prayer and the what of prayer. So the when of prayer. So Jesus, um, what it doesn't say here, but what's understood is Jesus uh, culturally, and he was raised in an environment where they prayed six times a day. There was scheduled prayer six times a day. It was scheduled. It was a part. It was a part of the focus of Jesus' life. It was a part of a Jewish young person, old person, everything in between. Part of the rhythm of their life was to pray, and it was scheduled. So this is just a practical thing when it comes to being focused on prayer. It simply means to be intentional about it. To be intentional about it. That will help you have power in prayer that will help you. You might think, well, I, I've tried that before and it just be, I feel like there's not things for me to pray or whatever. We'll get to that in a minute. But the place to start when it comes to prayer is simply to be focused that I'm going to pray. I'm going to have intentionality and I'm going to schedule it. One of the great graces that Claire and I have um, received and put this into practice right after we gave our life to Christ is we pray every day. We have always prayed since the time we gave our lives to Christ. Every day we pray together, Claire and I. It's the first thing we do in the morning is we pray. It is scheduled. It is something that is just a part before we start going off into the busyness of our day. There is an intentionality around that. See, what this is, is when we are intentional and when we're focused about scheduling and making way for prayer, when we make it a priority in our life, it it creates this space where we begin to tend to the presence of God. We begin to give space, in other words, for God. In our lives, your life and mine, I have people and you have people that say, man, you're really busy. We're all really busy, aren't we? There are not a lot of people in this room There are not a lot of people in this country, including our children, that are not really busy. We are busy people. The point isn't that we would be more busy. 
The point is, is that I would make a priority and you would make a priority to give space to God's presence. Part of the reason that Jesus points out the ineffectiveness of prayer is he isn't saying they don't pray enough. He says they pray plenty, but there's not an intentionality about the prayer. It's just babbling. It's just going on. It's kind of perfunctory. So that's kind of the next piece of this whole thing on focus is if you find yourself just falling into this category of perfunctory prayer, like a lot of us, we might do perfunctory prayer when we pray for, for our meal. It's like we just do it because we're in the habit of just doing it, right? We just do it. And it doesn't even feel like there's anything happening. We're never really given much intentionality to it. But this becomes a space of deep, perhaps, gratitude, right? Some of us may have grown up. um, I grew up uh, going to church occasionally. Uh, Didn't really have a relationship with Christ, but our family would occasionally go off to church, and it was a liturgical environment, and it was all the prayers were written, right? And in that environment, for me, all I really, it was, it just wasn't really life giving. And the problem wasn't the liturgy. The problem was me. The problem was me not making space for the words that were being prayed and spoken over me to come to life. It really has to do with me and it has to do with you making space for God's presence and activity in our own life, right? Some of us, we just read the Lord's Prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, some of us call it. Some of us call it the Jesus Prayer. This is, Jesus taught us to pray this way. This prayer in Matthew 6, and it shows up in other, at other spaces, this prayer is so full of treasure, right? But if we just pray it as just, I've just got this thing memorized, but I'm not giving attention, to what's actually being communicated and what I'm praying, nothing can happen. So focus is important. We open our lives. When we focus, when I focus, I open my life to the possibility of God's power occurring in my life. The possibility of what goes far beyond me coming into play. This is one of the greatest privileges of our lives. Think about it. The God of all the universe, the God of all creation, the God of every person that was ever created has communicated to us that there is a significant connection to our relationship with God through prayer. That when you and I pray, the environment can shift. Healings can happen. Salvation can come. Justice can roll down. The impossible becomes possible. That which is no way in your ball court, all of the sudden, because you partner with God's influence, God's power, God's anointing, God's goodness, God's grace, God's mercy, because you and I have that opportunity, anything can happen when we pray. So we need to focus. The second word is control, and it's simply who is in control. 
Jesus again here, he kind of goes after these folks for what they say. He says, you're babbling on, you're, you're, you're babbling on, you have a lot of words. In other words, he's saying, you are keeping control. The point is when we pray, the point is to give control. What I do, what you do when you pray is you're saying, Lord, and Jesus says it here, your kingdom come. And by saying your kingdom come, essentially what we're saying is my kingdom go. Your kingdom come in my life. Your kingdom come in this situation. I am getting off of the throne. Remember when I gave my life to Christ, I was in the back of Sean and Kathleen's car, 18 years old. Claire and I prayed, literally our prayer. Talk about eloquent words. It was help. We literally prayed. That was the beginning of our prayer, help. And then we gave our lives to Christ. We just said, Jesus, come into our life. Because I was tired of my kingdom. My kingdom was wearing me out. And by, by most measures, I had a pretty good kingdom at 18 years old. That, that's what the crazy part about it was. But I started to look at it and I thought, this is not what I'm living my one and only life for. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I give up control, Lord. I give it to you. What do you want going on in my life? How do you want me to pray? How do you want me to be sensitive to the people around me when I intercede, when I start to pray for things? How do you want me to pray for the nation I live in? How would you like me to be concerned about the community that I live in and pray for the people that are away from you or the people that are close to you, but they need prayer just as much as anyone else? How do you want me to pray for myself, Lord? Because I'm tired of my intention always being about building my kingdom, your kingdom come. When your kingdom starts to come on the earth, God, it's a lot better than my kingdom. See, when you pray, for instance, for healing, okay? When I pray, let's say that Josh, if he were sick, and I pray for Josh, and I'm praying in my own authority that my kingdom, I mean, none of us would do this, but essentially, if all I'm doing is praying for Josh out of my own strength, it's like, I don't really have much to offer him other than maybe a good pat on the back, some sympathy. Those are all good things. I can, I can offer those kinds of things, but there is nothing like saying, you know what, God, there is no sickness, for instance, in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So God, I don't know how this is going to play out, but your kingdom come here. I pray for your kingdom to come for Josh, for his need for healing. I pray for your kingdom to come in my life when I'm, I'm struggling to find perhaps a job and a career. I'm trying to discern what am I going to do. God, your kingdom come. I know that, I'm, look, I'm out there. My friend is out there putting in applications and putting out their resume and they're beating the pavement. But Lord, we need your kingdom to begin to come into this situation. Lord, uh, John the Baptist said it this way, didn't he? He said, I must decrease and he must increase. This is the part of our human condition. See, most of our anxiety, most of our anxiety, folks, is created out of us trying to control things. I am an expert controller. 
It is something I have to pay attention to and I have to repent of. I'm a person that likes things under control. And, and, and not all of that is always bad in our lives, right? We're trying to control our career to a certain extent. You, you do that by just showing up. That's, that's at a certain level control. But then it moves into this place where it's like, it's okay, Lord, I'm going to take it from here. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take it the whole time. How much better is it? And then what happens is when things start to fail, anxiety rises because it should rise. You've got much to be troubled by if you're just relying on yourself. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 4, 6. He says this, he says this, the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present yourself and your request to God. Paul totally connects anxiety with our trying to keep control of things. And it's when I open myself up and say, you know what, God? I'm tired of the anxiety in my life. I want to dislodge all of those things that control, and I want to make space for you. I want to make space for your kingdom as I give up control. It's interesting in the Old Testament, or no, there's this, let me, let me share this one scripture with you. So there's this one account in Mark 9, all right? Jesus feeds the 5,000. Uh, Mark 9 talks about Jesus feeds the 5,000 and then immediately goes, that's the account where he walks on the water. That's the next thing he does. So he leaves, his boat gets left behind, the boat he was in. He walks on the water. He's gone for a while. So you've got these people. They don't know that Jesus is out walking on the water, but they've seen a lot. They've seen the 5,000 fed. And anyway, Jesus is gone. There's this big stir because the disciples, um, some of them are left behind and they're trying to like cast out devils and stuff. Jesus shows back up. And there's all this commotion because the demons are not being cast out. And the disciples are worked up. The people are worked up. Jesus just finally, he clears the air. He gets rid of all the, all the devils. And then the disciples come to Jesus and they say, they pull him aside and they say, why, why, couldn't, why were we ineffective? And it's interesting because this statement shows up in other places, but in Mark 9, it shows up. This is a unique statement that Jesus says. Jesus says, this kind only comes out through prayer. Now, in other accounts, with other situations, it's prayer and fasting. But in this account, Jesus just says this only comes out through prayer. What Jesus was trying to teach the disciples is, you have been seeing manifestations of miracles and powerful things happening in your life, and you are getting pretty puffed up about it. And all of a sudden, you think that you don't even have to pray about it anymore. You're just going to walk into the situation and devils are going to bow down and get out of the way. So this only comes out through prayer. In other words, you have to say, your kingdom come, Lord. Yes, I've seen some amazing things. Some of us have been able to experience some awesome things in God. But you and I will never be in a position where we can forsake the presence of God's kingdom in our life. That's why things happen when you pray. It isn't because you're eloquent. 
It isn't because you're good looking. You're really good looking, but that does not cause devils to flee. Your kingdom come. That kind only comes out through prayer. What in your life or mine might still be there because we simply have not invited God's kingdom to address it. We haven't even prayed about it. Karl Barth, the theologian, he says this. He says, to clasp our hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. (coughs) Prayer changes things. And lastly, presence. Prayer is mostly about presence. Being present to God's presence. See, the scripture, when you start to read the Bible, and as you read through all of the scripture, there are these themes, these, these thoughts that show up consistently through scripture. There's, there's a handful of them that are extremely prominent, and one, of, and one of the most prominent is that God is about trying to get us to pay attention to his presence. It's about presence. God is with Adam and Eve in the garden. God is with Moses. Just go through the scripture. Just begin to think about it. And when it comes to prayer, what prayer is at its core is your ability and my ability to pay attention to the presence of the God of the universe. See, God's kingdom comes through prayer, comes and it manifests in different ways. When you and I pray, we invite God's kingdom into our life and see there are injustices in the world. Part of how you get directed possibly to be a part of ending injustice is by praying. And God can lead you and I through praying to come against things like injustice, to come against lack and brokenness. It's an interesting, interesting scripture, one of my favorite scriptures, and I, I just encourage you to meditate on it in Psalm 103. Just what, a, what an amazing scripture. David writing, he says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So what David is saying is he's reminding himself, and we're instructed, to, instructed even when we pray, to, to remind ourselves of the benefits of God's kingdom. Forget not all the benefits, and he begins to list them. He forgives you all your sins. That's a benefit. He heals all diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. That's a benefit. He crowns you with love. That's a benefit. He brings compassion into your life and mind. That's a benefit. He satisfies our desires with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. That's a benefit. I could use some of that benefit today. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. It's a benefit. In other words, David is saying, don't forget, God is, God's kingdom is full of goodness. And all of the goodness in your life and mine flows out of God, 
flows from God to us, right? But it's not about the benefits. God is not a vending machine. And there is this subtle scripture that is so profound. The next verse, he made known his ways to Moses and his deeds. Some versions say acts, his deeds to the people of Israel. And then he just goes on. And the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. That is such a powerful, powerful verse. See, forget none of God's benefits. So what what we're being instructed is, first of all, we need to know who we're communicating with. Just leave it at this. God is able. God is able. Whatever is going on in your life or mine, God is able, right? That's the benefit. To sum it up. However, there's this contrast that David creates here. He says, now the Israelites, they were after the acts. Like they really did want God to be kind of like a vending machine. Like one miracle would happen and then that they, they loved it and they'd get tired of it. And then they'd say, bring us another act. So David is essentially contrasting the two and saying the preferred posture is the Moses way. Moses knew God's way. When we pray, when we get in the presence of God, we begin to learn God's way. In Exodus 33, God is about to lead the Israelites into the promised land but he's a little upset with the Israelites because they've just been all about wanting God to do some acts, some deeds for them. And he's been doing them. And as one final gesture, he's going to send them into the promised land, but he tells Moses, I'm not coming along for the ride. And Moses goes into his prayer tent and he says to God, if you're not coming... If your presence is not coming, I'm not going either. Because I'm not just looking for acts. I'm looking for you. Wherever you are is where I want to be. I hunger and I thirst for your presence. That's what I'm after. There's not enough miracles in the world that could replace your presence. So it's God's presence that we're after. See, we long for God's presence. And as we long for God's presence, God's presence manifests. You do realize God is here. God never leaves the building like Elvis. God is here. God is wherever you go. When you go to work, God is out in the community. God is wherever you go. When it comes to presence... It's really about us paying attention to the longing in our lives. So we need to focus. We need to give God total control. And we need to be in pursuit of presence. So Holy Spirit, come. 
we open ourselves, we give awareness and attention to your presence. We want to know your way, God. We want to know how, how you love our friend. We want to know how you're compassionate to our neighbor. When we pray, we want to know your heart for broken people. We want to get in touch through your presence of your generosity to us. So God, I pray for all of us. I pray that even on this day and into these days and this week, that we really would hunger and thirst for your presence. these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Can we stand together? And before we leave, let's focus on Jesus. Focus on the cross. Focus on the goodness of our God. And whether you sing this or just listen, let's let these words do things in us that are amazing.
continue to celebrate with our families who dedicated their children, and let's dedicate ourselves anew each and every morning.